0: Y'all can do better than that. I know that was kind of like your third good morning of the day, um, but we're going to do that again, so make it the fourth. Good morning. morning. That's what I love. Glad that you guys are here with us. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to 3 John. It's where we are going to be as we conclude our series in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that we've been walking in since the first of the year. Uh, while you turn there, I want to remind everybody we are taking the Lord's Supper Day, and so if you snuck past our greeters on the way in, right now would be a great time if you want to go back and grab those. Uh, this is for everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ who would like to partake in uh, this with us today, whether you are a member of Willow Ridge Church or not. We'll talk about some of this toward the end of our message, but just want to remind you of that. Uh, a handful of quick little updates before we get into our message. Um, a famous last words, I don't think my message is going to be extremely long today, um so a few things I want to go over uh, before we get there. Uh, good laugh Brandon, right? Um uh, first, I just tell you guys, I was able to go to New York um, this past week for a really quick trip. We did the math from the time we arrived in New York with the team that I went to, from the time that I arrived to the time that we left, we were in New York for 39 hours. It felt like we barely got there, we barely blinked, and then it was time to come home again. But it was just a wonderful time and a wonderful experience. We went up there, as you guys know, for the past two or three years, uh, we've been sending a team from Willow Ridge to head up to uh, New York to to work for alongside other. Churches in our state for coats for the city. And this past time, um, our, our team that went, I believe there were six of them that went, just fell in love with this church and this pastor and pastor's wife. The pastor's name's Walter uh, Valencia and his wife, Veronica, and the ministry that they're doing in the area of Queens that were there. And so here in all of them, we went up there and, and, and met with them and talked with them and are praying through just some really neat possibilities of partnerships with ministry. But I wanted to share this with you because this will be part of the, 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 the message a little bit later and, and not have to go fully into everything um, then. But uh, as they were there doing uh, just some obedient work of ministry, of handing out coats and scarves and hats and gloves and all the things they there, uh, evidently like our group went a little rogue, as Willow Ridge is known to do from time to time, and started a uh, hot chocolate ministry, which if you've been around our people who do hot chocolate in here on special events, you know that in a cup there's like this much hot chocolate and then like that much whipped cream and this many sprinkles and chocolate syrup, right? right yeah like joanne's clapping because she's like that's those are my favorite ingredients those last three right um and so they started this ministry and just fell in love with them and the work that they're doing and while they were doing all that there was a man who came to get stuff you know like you're giving away things that's people come to do and based off some several conversations he ended up praying to receive christ as his lord and savior And as we were sitting there, so uh, Walter and and Veronica uh, took us to a Colombian restaurant. I've never been to a Colombian restaurant, um, but they had a carne asada, and I was like, that sounds good, I know what that is, so I'll order that. And I don't know if it's because they're like, hey, the big guy's here, they brought me out three steaks. They were all gone, all gone by the end of it, right? They brought me out a little salad like this and three steaks like this, amen? And God blessed me that night, all right? uh, but over our meal, Walter said to us, he said, he said, do you remember hearing the story of that man? I said, yes. He says, here's what's amazing. Here's what God's doing. He said, the next Sunday, him and his whole family came to our church. And this Sunday, so while we baptized Jason and Shelby, they baptized him. Amen? Amen. And so that's just the wonderful work. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we want to praise the Lord for that. Um, we're we're uh, moving out of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Next week, we're going to head into uh, a series that we're going to be working through for some time on Genesis. We're going to be reading every word, preaching through the entire book of Genesis. And so I'm really excited about this. I want to encourage you to come and, and, and be a part and, and engage as we go through that. Um, also, uh, we have planned a Salt Lake mission trip to work with Dustin and Sarah Stottman in Hope Valley Church from May 17th to the 22nd. Right, So that's a pretty quick uh, time frame that we're going to be there, but he's got some ministry um, that he feels would be beneficial for us to do for them in helping them do outreach and engagement in their community. And so I want to invite you to join us and be a part of that. Um, on March the 12th, Sunday, March 12th, so next Sunday, following the service, I'm going to have a brief informational meeting in 102 after the service is over with for anyone who's interested. We'll talk a little bit more about the details, about the cost, what this will look like. So if you're remotely interested, I want to encourage you to go and to be a part of that and then just be praying it's five weeks till easter right um spring came early easter's coming early this year and and we're excited about it and so we'll have more details about that as we prepare and get ready for Easter. So what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to read all the way through 3 John like I did last week with 2 John, read all the way through and come back and draw some things out for us this morning that I feel like God's laid on my heart to be able to share with you guys today. So let's start reading. We're going to read 3 John starting in verse 1, reading all the way through. It says this, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, it is, uh, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles." Therefore, we ought to support people like these that they may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. "...and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true." I had much to write you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. So John's letter here is a little bit different than the previous letters that we've read, and this letter is written to a man named Gaius. Now, we we don't really know a whole lot from this letter, but we can see very clearly that John has a close relationship with Gaius, and John both affirms and encourages Gaius in not only what he is doing, but what he has been called to do. There's There's a really good attaboy that we feel as we read through this, but he also mentions two other men who are in the church, Diotrephes, who displays uh, behaviors that John is going to correct, right? So we see some negative behaviors, but then also Demetrius, who John praises as well. And so as I was sitting here, and, and this is a very personal letter, you know, there's a handful of times that we that we see these in scripture where this is a letter that's not necessarily written to the church as a whole, but this is a letter that is written from an individual to an individual, and so kind of our our labor of love that that we have with this as we study this, as we read this, is how do I take something that is inspired from one person to another individual and then draw away from that, right, what the Lord would have for me? It can feel a little bit, right, of reading a love letter written from one person to another person, and so it kind of becomes a little bit difficult sometimes, and to draw from this as we we dive into, right, the relationship between these two individuals, and we can see they're obviously friends, they're obviously close, but also with that, that John views himself as a spiritual leader, as a spiritual influencer, as an elder above Gaius in their Uh, dynamic of their relationship. And so what I want us to do is, is as we draw from this, I I think we can look at what John does as he's affirming and rebuking, and what we can begin to see is that this is some tangible evidence of what it looks like to have a relationship with the Lord. And that's kind of become our nine-week journey through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, right? This is what it tangibly means to follow Jesus, like, like a phrase that we, that we use, that, that Christians use, that we, we take from Scripture is what does it mean to follow, follow God, to follow Christ? Well, then it means to, to love God and love others, right? The, those five words we, we've seen, we've heard, we've printed, we've embraced it, and we should because it's Scripture. But there's, there's more in that than simply saying, well, then I love God and love people, especially when those phrases of love kind of register with us as solely meaning feelings. Well, I feel that I love the Lord. I get tingly. I get goosebumps. I get feelings, right? We get that. We we get overwhelmed. I heard, um, as I shared the story about the man in New York who's getting baptized today, we clapped. But I bet you those six individuals who know him felt that at their core. They felt that feeling of the love for God and the love for people. And so we don't want to say that that's not a part of it because it is. But what we've learned as we've dove through this, as we've journeyed through primarily 1 John in this and then reminded about this in 2 John is that love God and love others. Well, then what that comes down to is obeying the Lord. That God says, this is who I am, this is my standard for my people, this is what I want to do in you so that of the work that I can do through you, and, and you love me and you love others when you obey me and you keep my word. That's why for us, it is important that we baptize, but it's important that as we continue to baptize, that everyone who is baptized, we're teaching them to obey all that God has called them to and all that God has commanded them. This is what we must impress on them. And so while this isn't an all encompassing, right, of this is what we do, this is the beautiful sneak peek of what God gives us as John writes to Gaius that we can draw from this. So let's let's look verses one through four. It says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Verse 3 is one I want to take note of for us this morning, for I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And so our first point of what we begin to see as we look at this is the, what God calls us to to walk in truth. Now, there's a phrase here that y'all have heard me talk about before, right? The, the two-word phrase, your truth, my truth. That's a phrase that we definitely hear in pop culture, right? It's a, it's a word that our society has embraced. And I would argue, uh, and, and argue with, with great confidence that when we say, when the Bible says right here, your truth in verse 3, that's not your truth that culture is affirming. Because here's the deal. If your truth isn't God's truth, then your truth isn't truth. Your truth may be feelings, it may be your experiences, it may be your desires, but it isn't the truth that we as Christians that we know. Because God is truth. God is truth. I'm not truth, you're not truth. God is truth. And if we profess that God has saved me, then what we profess is that God has indwelt me through the power of his Holy Spirit, through the person of his Holy Spirit. So to walk in truth is to walk in who I am as I am saved and transformed by God. So in verse 3, I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. Well, what is that truth? As indeed you are walking in the truth. So can you have your truth? Can I have my truth? Yes, but what does that come from? His truth. His truth. So here's the question. How are you walking? How are you walking? I heard somebody tell me one time that people in New York City can tell where you're from by the way you walk. Did you know that? Did you know that they can tell where you're from by the way you walk? Now. I would have said, by the way we talk, in fact, um, we were walking by the NBC studio, kind of like looking around and doing some things, and we we met a person that worked for NBC studios, and they asked me a question, and I began to speak. Now, I don't think that I have a really strong Southern accent, right? And if you're not from, (laughs) man, y'all are laughing at me already, you know? I said y'all, and you know. Um. (laughs) What am I gonna say, right? And so she asked me a question. Now, while I'm there, here's what goes through my mind quite often. Don't sound like you're not from here. So in the best voice that I can. Now, I'm not trying to sound like I'm from New York. I wanna leave them guessing, you know? And I wasn't wearing boots either, right? So I answered her question and she said, ooh, you're from the South, right? Like, hey, everybody come and look at this guy, right? And then Brent was with me, Brent Hawkins. So I said, well, if you think I'm bad, you should talk to Brent, right? But here's how they know where you're from. By the way you walk. And when you're in, if you've ever been to New York or if you ever go to New York, New Yorkers walk with purpose. They've got somewhere to be. They've got somewhere to go. Get out of their way. Oh, and they know where they're going. Here's how people from South Carolina walk around New York City. (laughs) Okay, this way, right? And we make our laps around the same city block over and over and over again, right? That's what we do. So they can tell where you're from. They can tell who you are by the way you walk. John says to Gaius, I can tell who you are, I can tell whose you are by the way you walk. Because your walk is based in the truth of the gospel. The testimony of your walk has been observed by others. And the affirmation of your walk has been observed by others. How do you walk? How do you walk? Is, is God and God's word a detour for the moments of your life that come up when you need him? Or is how you walk evidenced by the, by the path that God lays out for us in our obedience to follow him? How do you walk? How do you walk? Let's keep reading in verse 5. He says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love for the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that they may be fellow workers for the truth. So here's what what John is going to affirm for Gaius is faithful ministry. Faithful ministry. John encourages Gaius right here in this moment in Gaius's personal ministry. And, and here's, here's what he's, he's doing. Gaius' ministry is this: he cares for, is hospitable to, and gives financially for traveling missionaries. This is, people would pass through towns, they would know where there were other believers who would welcome them and encourage them. And what they would do as they were moving from town to town, place to place, sharing the gospel, is there would be men and women of the faith who knew that no matter what time of night it was, that no matter how busy they were, if a missionary was knocking on their door, they would let them in, they would feed them, they would care for them, they would provide for them a place to sleep, they would financially give them money as they left to to continue on with where they needed to go from the next moment to the next moment. And here's what John does is he commends Gaius for his faithful ministry. Now, here's the thing. Here's what I love about his ministry here. This isn't flashy ministry. He doesn't commend Gaius for for planning a church that has 900 people coming to it. He doesn't commend him for, for raising millions and millions of dollars for something. He doesn't thank him for going out every day, out onto the streets and witnessing over and over and over again to everyone. Now are these three things bad? No, they're great good things. We love church planners that plant churches that reach nine and 900. We, we love people who, who raise funds and mobilize men and women all over the world to go and do ministry. We love the people that use their giftedness and the diversity of giftedness for for the sake of the kingdom. But what we see here in this moment for Gaius is not anything that is flashy, but it is consistently faithful in his life. In spite of what it may cost, in spite of what it may demand of him, he is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. Here's why I told you the story at the beginning, about the man who is getting baptized today. If we believe what we believe about Scripture, here's what we believed. That day in December, he showed up for a coat. It's cold in New York, it's cold in December, and he needed a coat. Did he have a coat at home? I don't know. I don't care. He showed up for a coat. He showed up as a man lost in his trespasses and sins. And if that day were his last, and he would have died, he would have busted the gates of hell wide open. But a group of men and women from Wooler Church and a group of college students from Coastal Carolina University, gave of their time and went up to New York City and just handed out coats and just had conversations. And I say it that way intentionally, not to belittle their work, but in the just, God did miraculous. And they were faithful. And they weren't flashy. They said simple things like, how are you doing? Have you ever heard of this church? Can I have a conversation with you? Would you like a cup of hot chocolate? Tell me how long you've lived in New York. And in that, in their faithfulness, God worked the miracle. in that man, and we assume now his family, has stepped out of death and into life in Jesus Christ. They didn't go to New York to be flashy. They went to New York to be faithful. And I want to ask you this. In your life, whether it's here at our church, whether it's serving in a ministry, whether it's in your home or your neighborhood, where are you being faithful to the ministry that God has called you to. I want to give you a little sneak peek in what we're going to do in Salt Lake City, okay? We're going to go to a park and make snow cones. We're going to ask if it's okay to talk to someone and just ask them how their day is going. We're going to volunteer at a soup kitchen and help collect items and transport it. Nothing flashy, but faithful. Because, see, here's the thing. Whether it's preaching on a stage or handing out a snow cone, God doesn't even need us to be flashy. And he doesn't want us to be flashy. Because we're not showing off ourself. We're showing off him. So I want to ask you, faithful ministry, I want to encourage you, next week, come to 102. I want to encourage you, next December, go to New York, be faithful. I want to encourage you, go volunteer in our children's ministry, be faithful. I want to encourage you, volunteer in our student ministry, be faithful. I want to encourage you to be the person that gets to work 20 minutes early, not because you have to, but because you want to, because you want to make coffee for everyone as they arrive. Be faithful. Be faithful. And see what God's going to do. Verse 9. John continues on. And he said, I've written something to the church. But Diatrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So John gives us the negative. I want to spin it to the positive of what we need to look like, and it's humble submission. Humble submission. Most of the times when we see a rebuke in the letter, and and we've seen some of these in 1 John um, primarily, uh, it's over doctrinal matters. It's over right belief, but, but not here. What John is doing is he is addressing the pride of this individual, and his pride has manifested itself, it's shown itself over his unwillingness to acknowledge authority. This is the issue of what's there and so he's going to continue and see some other things that he's doing. So here's what I want to tell you about authority and about submission. Because those are two words that we struggle with. And I say we because we includes me. That we struggle with these from time to time. So let's understand some things about spiritual authority. And the the thing that that we need to root in is this. Spiritual authority must come from biblical authority, which must come from Christ's authority. Christ is our authority. Colossians 1.18 says he is first and foremost. It's who he is. And every piece of authority that we are called to in this must come from him. And so, when we say who struggles with that, pastors and church members, we both do. And we fall in this in patterns of sin. And they both come from the unwillingness to submit to anyone or anything other than themselves. And so what we are called to is humble submission. Now, humble submission does not mean being willing to be walked over. Humble submission does not mean not standing for truth. But here's what it does mean. It means laying aside self, being willing to live for him, and so serving others as we submit to Christ as our authority. John's going to come, And his hope is to be able to meet with him and rebuke him, not because of who he is, but because of who God is and what God has called him to. Let's keep reading as we look at this interaction, verse 10. He says, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. I feel like in 2023, that would be something like, So if I come, I'm going to call him out, right? Like That's how we would phrase that. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops uh, stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So there's a lot that we don't exactly know what is happening in this situation, but here's what we understand is coming up in this situation. So as we talk about the missionaries that travel back and forth from town to town, not only is Gaius continuing to be faithful to them, but Diotrephes not only is he speaking against and speaking wickedness, wicked nonsense is what John says, against them. But as the missionaries come in, not only does he not welcome them in his home as he says that he is a Christian, but that he then tries to or stops, uh, it doesn't say tries, God's word says he stops those who want to and then puts them out of the church. And so we see this evilness, we see this wickedness that is there, and it comes through. It's manifesting itself as, as much as it possibly can in the things that he's saying. And so how we spin this as we continue on into faithful ministry, as we continue on into submission, is we talk about controlling the tongue and the control of the tongue. I've heard people say, what you say is nonsense. I've heard people say, man, what they said was wicked. But I don't know that I've ever heard these two words put together in day-to-day life. And I think it describes the depravity of what this individual who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ says. As he says, this is wicked." Nonsense. One of the attributes of being a Christ follower, I think oftentimes that we, including me, forget, is our ability to control what we say. And when we speak of controlling the tongue before, and we think it means like not avoiding conflict or not speaking hard truth or not doing those things. You just need to watch what you say. And I don't think that's it at all. I, I mean, John says, so if I come, I'm going to bring up what he's doing. I'm going to address it. I'm going to deal with it. So, so if it's not that, then, then what is it? Here's what I would describe to you, what I think and what I believe and have drawn from what controlling the tongue is. Controlling the tongue is allowing the full work of the Holy Spirit to be done in us, that what comes from us is evidence of his existence in our life. So The Holy Spirit lives in me, and he is working in me, and he is working out all of those areas in my life. So it's not just I didn't do that, but now it's I didn't say it. And we'll go a little bit farther here in just... Another instance of what it means to not say it. So, what comes from me may be confrontation through my words, but it's also could be encouragement. And also, I think sometimes we forget the spiritual calling of, well, just don't say anything, right? In a world where we are built on hot takes, sometimes I think as followers of Christ, we have a higher uh, perceived view of our opinion than we ought. And sometimes we just don't need to say anything at all. And what we begin to see is controlling the tongue of what that means is it's more than simply developing a filter. Because as Jesus teaches us, as God's word teaches, teaches us, it's not just what I do, it's not just what I say, but it's what I think. And so the full work of what we see in the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is change what I do, change what I say, change what I think. So in these moments, I don't do sin, I don't say sin, I don't think sin, but I do what God has for me, I say what God has for me, I think what God has for me, and in this, I glorify the Lord. All right, controlling the tongue controlling the tongue maybe we acknowledge that we don't say it but then moving from there we acknowledge that this is the start for us in the journey of what god has look at verse 11 beloved do not imitate evil but imitate good whoever does good is from god and whoever does evil has not seen god imitate jesus imitate jesus now, y'all remember, I, I think they're kind of somewhat still a thing. Y'all remember those WWJD bracelets? Y'all remember? No? Who, who has ever had one? Raise your hand. Amen. Who still has one? Ra- raise your hand. Throw your hand up. Got a handful, y'all? Love it, love it, love it, right? What would Jesus do? I love that question. I love the question. I love in that moment. I have to say this repeatedly to myself over and over and over again. What would Jesus do, Bo? What would Jesus do in this moment? right? And it comes up over and over and over again. I've shared this with you, all right? Like, you put me at 5 o'clock at Malfunction Junction. Man, if Jesus had a truck, what would Jesus do? You know, like in that moment. I don't know, I, I, I think there'll be some point in times he's like, it's time for a miracle right here, you know? And then he like, just parks and he can just go because he's got somewhere to be, right? What would Jesus do? But, but here's, here's what I think is a better question. John says, imitate Jesus. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? You see, because I think when we ask ourselves that question sometimes, what would Jesus do? I'm now putting myself as the authority of speculation of what might Jesus do in this situation. But God gives us something beautiful. He gives us truth. What did Jesus do? You know, when we dive into God's word, we find a rich display of the very character and nature of God. And so we don't have to speculate. We can know. How many of you have ever said, what would Jesus do when dealing with difficult people? We can open up God's word and see what Jesus did as he dealt with difficult people. We can know how Jesus worked through different family dynamics. Anybody ever had to ask yourself that question? We can know how Jesus handled conflict. We can know how Jesus loved the outcast. We can know how Jesus embraced and spoke truth to the Pharisee. We can know all these things. And now we don't have to speculate what Jesus did. We can do what Jesus did because we know what Jesus did. Look at verse 12. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Church, we can't undervalue what it means to have a good testimony, what it means to be spoken well of. Is what people say about you what you would say about yourself. I I don't know if you follow the news, but there was a pretty popular court case that's been going on in South Carolina. Y'all familiar with that? No. And here's what I found interesting as someone from the outside, I haven't kept track of it as much as most, but maybe more than some, is that throughout the trial of this individual, the people who were paid to um, break down the trial were very unsure if he was going to be found guilty or not, which was baffling to pretty much everybody else that was watching this. But they were like, we don't know if the state put forth enough evidence beyond a reasonable doubt, to convict this man of the horrific crimes that he committed. They didn't know. Then, this man spoke. And here's what happened. What he said about himself What he said about others did not align with what everyone in that room believed to be true. And so what condemned him in that moment was his testimony of himself and the testimony of others stood in stark contrast to one another. And in that, what came forth? Truth. Truth. So many times in Scripture, different writers have said this in a positive way. I've heard this about you. Well done. I've heard this is who you are. Persevere through. Let me me commend you in the work that you are doing. If we're not careful, we can buy into our own lie about ourselves. This is who I think I am. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about me. And there's a part of that that I understand. But here's what I know. Is when those know the truth don't see you as one who knows the truth. Maybe you need to evaluate if you know the truth and the value of a good testimony. Testimony of who you are in Christ. Not just about what you say, but about what you do. And in closing, I'll read you this, verse 13 through 15. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope I get to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. I want to close with this. It's this the call to Christian community of what God has for us. John, we saw this in his previous letter in 2 John in verse 12 where he basically says the same thing, that I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. What we see in the midst of all of this is it's not just about our relationship with the Lord. It's not just about our call to go, but the beauty of the joy of Christian community that God calls us to, the joy of the fellowship together the joy of the opportunity that God has for us, the joy that God has where he unifies us together, the time where we become no longer acquaintances, but we become brothers and sisters in Christ, the beauty of that together. And then I even see this in the dynamic of our church of this morning as we gathered in here together And we sipped on coffee and ate snacks and kids played and youth talked and we came from the busyness of our week and we unified together. I see this in the joy that we have as we gather together in a unified voice as we gather together, as opening up God's word together in worship together, as we go from here, from our small groups that met before church, our small groups that are meeting after church, our small groups that are meeting throughout the week where we're diving in more one-on-one. I shared something a few weeks ago in a small group. Uh, with, with, uh, with my small group about a dynamic that's going on in my family with my dad right now. And there's been an individual, because me being gone and him having to do work things, we haven't been able to touch base. And he comes up to me this morning, and he knows this because we're in a small group together. And he comes and he says, hey man, been thinking about your dad, praying for your dad. How are things going? And the dynamic. And in that, the joy that we experience in those, in the joy of Christian community. You see, in God's word, church is not something you go to. Church is something that you're a part of. And that we are better because we are here. And so I want to ask you a question. Think through this. Why are you here today? Why are you here today? And and I hope that as you walk in truth, I hope as you drive for what God has for you, that you would begin to realize that what you're invited to, what God has for you, is the opportunity to be a part of something, to be a part of the body, and that in that we carry the name of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? God, I come to you this morning, Lord, thanking you for who you are, thanking you, Lord, for the work that you've done, and celebrating all that you have for us. God, as we prepare in just a moment to take the Lord's Supper together, Lord, may we acknowledge the beauty of what we're about to do. Jesus, we thank you that you died on the cross. Taking the punishment that we deserved and that your blood washes us and makes us clean. Your body took on our punishment, what we deserved, what we earned, and instead, Lord, Gave us the newness of life in Christ. Lord, I prepare if we go into a time of worship before we take the Lord's supper together. Lord, that we would check our hearts. Or if there's any unrepentant sin that we're holding on to, Lord, that we would confess it to you. We'd repent of it. We'd ask your Spirit to move in us to change us, that we would check our heart and our relationships with other believers. And Lord, if there's someone who's wronged us that we need to forgive, Lord, that this morning we would find your grace sufficient enough to forgive them. And Lord, if we realize that we've wronged someone else, Lord, in your mercy, we would be willing to seek their forgiveness. Calling us to be, Lord, He'd have us to be. We ask all these things. In Jesus and we pray. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willeridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.